Over the last few weeks, I've noticed uh, a series of stories in the news and, and media sounding alarm uh, about artificial intelligence. Have you guys all noticed that as well? It's just been coming up all over my feeds uh, everywhere. Uh, the first wave of stories focused on AI being used in schools and how, how students are using ChatGPT to write their papers. Uh, this week, there's been in the several headlines about artificial intelligence disrupting work and, and talk of you know, how many jobs are going to be lost and, and how it puts many jobs at risk. But there's been a lot of talk about how AI is surpassing human intelligence and ultimately is a threat to the survival of the human race. Then every year, something happens in politics or a world leader flexes his arms and one of the first topics that comes up is nuclear war. People speculate how quickly the world could end from a barrage of missiles covering our planet and wiping out everyone with radiation and nuclear winter. Of course, the word pandemic is still fresh on our vocabulary. Uh, five years ago, I don't think half of us knew what the word meant. Um, but uh, today, it's the topic of conversation. Or, or perhaps, actually, it's the, um, we've grown so tired of it that it's the, uh, uh, the taboo of every conversation. Conspiracy theories run wild about biological warfare. You climate change, supervolcanoes, world-ending meteors. Sometime this week, someone is going to tell you, tell us how we're all going to die. It's a question that mankind has been asking itself for thousands of years. It's just that in the last few decades, we've gotten a lot better at finding ways to cause catastrophe for ourselves, haven't we? But I'm going to make a prediction this morning. The human race is not going to be wiped out off the face of the planet by artificial intelligence. Nuclear holocaust is not going to obliterate the human race. The world is not going to end in a flash when an asteroid crashes through the clouds. Now, a lot of those things could happen. Uh, they'll probably be a part of our future. There will be all kinds of catastrophes that are going to come to pass, whether it's some of these things or uh, it's going to send the human race spiraling into chaos, but I am telling you today that none of these things are going to end life completely on earth. And we know that because God has already told us the end of the story. And I have good news for you. He wins. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you get to enjoy the win as well. This morning, uh, if you're here for the first time, this is, we've, we've been, for the last seven months, have been in a series called The Story, and we've been looking at the entire Bible in seven months, and we're trying to build a framework for how to understand all of Scripture. How do you put all these things together? And so we started with the book of Genesis, where we were in the garden, enjoying our relationship with God who created us, but we quickly rejected the story. We rejected our God, and we went to war with our Creator, and we became His enemy. And so death began to reign in us, but then something happened. We saw it right at the very beginning, right after man fell, right after man said, God, I don't want to do it your way, God stepped in, and one of the very first things that God did is He immediately set a motion and plan to redeem us and to make all things new. And of course, this plan culminated in the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be free from the power of sin in our lives, and ultimately, we will one day be free from the very presence of sin and death itself. For a time, the church is here 
And we have a mission, right? We have a mission, and for a time we are here to proclaim the good news to a world that needs to be reconciled to its Creator. And then soon our Lord, we're told, and the Scripture teaches, will return. He will reign over His kingdom, and at the end of, the time, end of time, we will again be in a garden where we will enjoy our relationship with our God for all of eternity. And so my friends, it's natural, isn't it, to wonder what happens next. We think about our own lives and how things unfold in, our, in the sequence of our, our own lives and our families, what will happen with our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, how long will I be here, what's the day of my death? We're curious about these things. We're curious about the unfolding of the rest of history, but in God's incredible wisdom and God's incredible grace, He has given us a glimpse Not all the details. We don't know everything. There's still plenty for us to be curious about, plenty for us to talk about. But God in His incredible wisdom has given us a glimpse of what the end looks like. And so as we conclude our series today on the story, uh, if you would please turn with me to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation today. If you're not sure where it's at, it's the very last book of your Bible. There's 22 chapters. Just skim back to chapter 1 and you're there. Before we start taking a look at Revelation, let's go to our God in prayer and ask for His Spirit to give us wisdom this morning. Father in heaven, we thank You uh, once again for Your Word. We thank You that You have given us these words of life, that these aren't just words on paper that were written by ancient men. These aren't just archaic words that were given um, in in a time, in a context that we have nothing to do with, but these are words that have life. And they are profitable for us. They are true. And as we open up the Scripture, we find that the Holy Spirit has revealed who you are. He reveals who we are and how we can come back to you and be reconciled to the God that we went to war with. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came and who died on the cross for our sins, who paid the penalty that we couldn't pay. You paved the way back so that we could be back in relationship with you. And so we thank you, and we give you praise, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning, that he would shed light on, on our minds to help us understand these things, but, but also we pray that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts so that as we hear your word, that we would learn to respond to it and walk in obedience to these things. Please teach us, we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever looked at the book of Revelation and said, I don't understand. It's just too hard. All right? Can't do it. How many of you have ever heard someone say that Revelation is just too difficult to grasp? It's about the future. Who can, who can understand it? For many people, Revelation is this giant puzzle. And it isn't easy to understand, so they ignore it and say that it's just too difficult. You ever done any difficult puzzles in your life? How many like jigsaw puzzles? I think the one of the hardest one I did was a, a puzzle of, of it was um, called hay and a needle stack. And the entire puzzle was a pile of needles. And there's a piece of hay sticking over the top. It was about impossible. I, and we, we worked on it for, for days, for weeks, for months. That thing just sat there. And a lot of people look at Revelation and they see it the same way. They go, finding Jesus in the midst of all this, this is like finding hay in a needle stack and and trying to differentiate the whole thing. Actually, the hay is not that hard to find. But um, I'd like to propose to you that when we come to Revelation, 
it's easy to find Jesus here because this book is about Jesus. And so a lot of people come to it and they say, oh, I just can't understand it. It's too difficult. Uh, others look at, and they look at it and they want to understand. They see the book of Revelation and go, I, I'd love to understand these things. It intrigues me and I'm curious about it, but they don't even know where to begin. So let's start with a question. Number one, do you believe God? If God says something, do you believe it? If he came to you and, and, and gave you a message, and whether it was a dream or a vision or whatever it is, and God came to you and you knew it was God. This isn't something fake. It's not somebody playing a prank on you. It's not whatever it is, but you knew this was God speaking, and he told you something, would you believe him? If you had absolutely no doubt in your mind that this was God speaking. And we come to God's word, and that's exactly what we find here, isn't it? That, that God has spoken. He has given to us his word to uh, understand who he is. And if we believe God, if we trust God, when God says something, we, we should believe it with all of our heart, and we know that what he says is trustworthy. And so with that in mind, I want you to read verse 1 with me, and let's see what God says about this book that we're going to survey and take a look at today. Listen to what God says about the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. And so just think about that for a moment. Think about what that verse is saying. The book contains what Jesus has revealed. This book gives us a glimpse of the end times which God the Father gave to Jesus so that he could show us what is going to happen soon. And so as we start, I want you to understand something about this big, scary last book of the Bible. Revelation has not been given by God to confuse us. That's not to say that it's not challenging. It's not to say that as you open up the book of Revelation, you don't find some things, you go, wow, this is a little different from the other passages I've read. But, but as you open it, it's not been given to you so that you would be confused and perplexed and wouldn't have any idea what to do with it. Revelation has also not been given to us merely to satisfy our curiosity. We do want to know about things that are coming up in, in the end times. We want to know about life. We want to know how the world is going to end. But God didn't give revelation to us just to satisfy our, our, our curious nature of things. Revelation has not been given to us just for our fascination. It's a book that is intended to be understood by God's people. God gave us this book to benefit us in the Christian life. There's another book uh, that's similar to Revelation. Uh, we looked at Daniel a few months ago when we were coming through the Old Testament in our series, The Story. And a few months ago, we were in this, this Old Testament passage. And if you remember, this Old Testament sage was also given a glimpse of many things to come. It, it's several passages that, that, like Revelation, confuse many people, and they're not sure how to handle it. Quite honestly, Daniel received some of these visions, and he wasn't sure how to handle these things. And, and Daniel looked at, at much of what he saw and in several passages, it talks about how Daniel was troubled by the dreams that he saw. He was troubled by the visions that God gave to him and the truths that God revealed. A lot of it confused him. Much of it was told in a way that he had no context to understand and how to interpret it. 
listen to this conversation that takes place at the end of Daniel in chapter 12, verses 8 through 9. Daniel writes this. He says, I heard, but I did not understand. And then I said, oh my Lord, he's speaking to an angel, my Lord, what, what shall be the outcome of these things? And the angel said to him, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Well, that's an encouraging bit, isn't it? You get these 12 chapters of all this crazy stuff, and you're trying to understand it, and you ask the angel, what, what do I do with this? And he says, uh, it's for another time, Daniel, it's not for you. You're not going to understand it. You see, Daniel received a revelation. He saw many things that would happen in the future, but when he asked a question on his mind and he didn't understand, he was told that these things would not be understood until the, the end time, after Jesus came. We have a distinct privilege I'd like to propose to you. We, we have an incredible privilege as part of the church in what we can understand. And in fact, we can understand much more than Daniel did, this incredible, wise, godly man. And, and the events of Daniel have been revealed and they've been fulfilled. We, we've seen the outcome of what Daniel saw and much of which has already taken place, especially when Jesus appeared when he came the first time. There's another passage in the book of Revelation, at the end of the book of Revelation. So keep your, keep your spouse's thumb on chapter 1 and, and turn to chapter 22 with me. In Revelation, we read this. In the very last chapter, 22, verses 10 and 11. And this is John and, and an angel speaking. The angel said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Do you hear the contrast there? Do you, do you see the words? That's, those are the same words that Daniel heard, but specifically John is told, don't seal up this book. For the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be faithful, filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. You see, the words have, that we have received have not been sealed up like they were for Daniel. We have this incredible privilege, a, a privilege that, that Daniel longed for, and the prophets, they longed to look into these things to understand. And, and here we are with the entire Bible in 66 books in your lap, that we can understand it in a way that many could never before. The words we've received have not been sealed up, and instead it's been revealed, and, and the book of Revelation tells us that it's been kept open. The book of Revelation was written by John when he was on, on an island called Patmos in exile. It was a time when the church had been established, but, but was now beginning to go through persecutions. And, and so understand that when Revelation was written, it was written in a way that would be encouraging to the saints who were suffering and they were longing to understand what, what they were to do with life and, and how things were going to end. And, and it was a book that was intended to give them hope as they looked forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, even though their lives were a mess and they were being persecuted. You see, emperor worship was widespread. Uh, Caesar Domitian uh, considered himself to be a god. Uh, a lot of you have heard of Nero before, right? Crazy Nero dancing on his roof when the city burnt down. Uh, Nero had persecuted the Christians and the Jews, but, but this new emperor, Domitian, he launched a formal systematic and sustained persecution of the christians and they were being persecuted like they had never been before and so 
Revelation was written with a purpose. And this purpose should encourage you to want to understand it better. Specifically, chapter 22 in that passage we just read gives us three purposes for why Jesus showed us what is in this book. And I want you to understand that this book was written, number one, uh, it was written to reveal events that will happen. Not just to satisfy our curiosity, not just to fascinate it, but God wants us to understand uh, to a certain extent what is to come. Foremost of all, that Jesus is coming back and that we win. But he gives us more than just that. And so now as you read Revelation, uh, it's, it's obvious when you read it, there's a lot of figures of speech. Have you ever read through the book and went, I'm not sure how to, how to understand that verse. I'm not sure what to do with these flying creatures. I'm not sure to do with, what to do with some of these things. It's a challenging book, but, but John uses these figures of speech all over the place, in particular, particularly because sometimes there are, there are things that words just can't portray. And so he uses figures of speech to try to help us understand the, the things that were taking place and, and that, he was, that were revealed to him. They can be understood, but it takes disciplined study and an understanding of also an understanding of the Old Testament. As you're reading through the book of Revelation, uh, out of 404 verses in Revelation, about 275 of them contain references to the Old Testament. So around three-fourths of the book of the Revelation refers back to the Old Testament. So do you want to take a guess what happens when you don't understand the Old Testament? You, you open up Revelation and you start saying, what, what do I do with this? Because he's using figures of speech and he's quoting passages from the Old Testament and, and you have to understand those in their context. And so if you want to understand Revelation, it's important that you learn to, to read all of Scripture. But there's a second purpose for this book. And, and we're told it's, it's been given to warn the lost of, of divine wrath. God, God wants the lost to see this, those that are without Jesus, and he wants them to understand the, the wrath that is coming. It's not hidden. It's not something that's going to take people, take the world, well, it will take the world by surprise, but it's not something that God has hidden from us. And he, he wants those who are lost and without Christ to understand what is to come. Several years ago, when I was first a youth pastor in a small town in Nebraska, I was teaching through the book of Daniel. And Daniel is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I've always loved studying it. I've always enjoyed teaching it. Uh, for me, I found Daniel to be one of the most encouraging messages in the Bible. And even though there's some challenges here and there in it, it is a message filled with hope. And so as I went through the book of Daniel, I, I, I was teaching through this, and I, I, I thought we were really having a great time, and several of the students were, were starting to grasp a lot of the concepts. And um, I got called into to the office at this church that I worked at. And the pastor sat down with me, and he says, I got a call from one of the parents. And, and their son is afraid. I thought, well, what for? And he says, well, you're, you're teaching this stuff from the Bible, this book, Daniel. And, um, and the parents are concerned because their son is afraid of what he's learning. And I, and I was thinking to myself, how, how in the world is this the case? Because this has been encouraging, and, and, and students have been growing and learning, and, and we've been rejoicing the things that we've learned. And as I, as I followed up with another conversation, what turned out to be is that this student understood what the book of Daniel was about. And this is a young man that, that was reading it and studying it, and, and he didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as he read it, he understood and believed that these things were going to come to pass. And he was on the wrong side of it. 
And, and so he, he saw the warning. And he saw where he was without Jesus Christ. And he understood for the first time in his life what his eternity was going to look like. And so I had to say, I, I, I can't stop preaching that message. This is what we teach. People need to know what Scripture says about what is to come. And, and so understand that, that when we see these messages, if you read it and go, this is horrible, and I'm on the wrong side of it, God doesn't give this message so that you can just be scared of it. He gives this message so that we can respond to it and receive the grace and receive the mercy that God has poured out through Jesus Christ and made available to you just by believing in Him. You see, when people come to understand the wretchedness of their sin, and when they come to understand the horrible reality of the wrath to come that will be poured out on the enemies of God, and when a person comes to understand these, these things and understand that without Jesus, they are lost and, and destined for His wrath. When they see these things, the book of Revelation should serve as a warning to lead the sinner to the foot of the cross where they will receive grace and mercy from that same God that gave the warning. Where we receive salvation. Where we receive eternal life. One of the purposes of the book of Revelation is that it has been given to warn the lost that they should, and, it, and that should give them reason to turn from their sins to Jesus Christ, who loved them so much that he died in their place. But there's a third reason, a third purpose for Revelation. The book of Revelation is intended to encourage followers of Jesus Christ, to encourage Christians to persevere. The Bible teaches that final victory will be yours if you are in Christ because it is him that achieves the victory. You will enjoy his, this, his victory if he is the one in whom you have trusted your eternity. Going back to the first chapter, notice the words of encouragement that we find in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Uh, again, God, God did not share this prophecy with John so that you and I can avoid it at all costs. It, it's not a, a prophecy of things that, that are going to, excuse me, it's not a prophecy of things that um, uh, it, excuse me, it is a prophecy of things hand and God says that you are blessed if you read you're blessed if you hear and you are blessed if you keep what is written so my encouragement to you is don't don't avoid this book but embrace it it'll be challenging yes there are things here that are confusing uh, for us all mostly because many of these things take place in a context that hasn't happened yet. And yes, Bible study can be challenging no matter what book of the Bible you're looking at. Uh, however, as is true for all of Scripture, this book has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is profitable for you. Multiple times God has promised to bless you as you interact with the words of this prophecy. Now, as we've proceeded through the story, 
um, over this last few months, from the very start, we made it clear that, that one of the main objectives for this series was to help us build a framework for understanding how the Bible is put together. We're not hanging pictures on the wall. Uh, we're not uh, bringing furniture into the home. We're, we're not even hanging the sheetrock or putting un- plumbing in. We, we, we haven't unpacked every verse, and we're not going to focus on all the, many of the details of, of many of these passages. But, but I hope that, that you now have a better framework for understanding the Bible so that as, as you study God's Word, you are better, better equipped to start building the walls and turning on the lights of the house, so to speak. And so briefly, I'd like to do the same thing with the book of Revelation. One more time, let's put together the frame, and then as you come back to the book at the end of the story, you can start filling in some of those details. Let's jump down to chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, where we're going to see who is at the center, and then we're going to see an easy outline for this book. John tells us that he heard, he heard a voice behind him. He heard Jesus speaking. And so he turns to see the voice that was, was talking, and he turned around to see the one who was speaking. And in verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Uh, my friends, when, when we are faced with the holiness of our God, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, it is going to strike us with awe. John saw his best friend, and he dropped down to the ground at his presence because he saw something that was unlike anything that he had ever experienced before, the holiness of his God. But I want you to notice the beauty and the kindness of what Jesus, Jesus does next and, and what we see Jesus doing for his people all through Scripture. It says that he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. Aren't those comforting words? When we come face to face with the holiness of God and realize how short we have fallen of his standard, how far we have fallen short of his holiness. But for those who have received God's grace and mercy through faith in Jesus Christ, repeatedly he says to us, fear not. He says, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. If there's one thing that you need to understand about the book of Revelation, this last book of the Bible, it's this. If you hear nothing else today in this next few minutes, I want you to hear this one thing. As you're reading the book of Revelation, understand that Jesus is at the center of it all. It's about him. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not only a book in which Jesus shows us the revelation, but it's also, understand that Jesus is the revelation. It's God revealing Jesus Christ to us. This is about Jesus returning again and making all things new. He is making everything right. As you look around at the world and you, and you shake your head at the chaos that we see every day, as you look around at the world and you see the evil that's within it and how mankind has rebelled against our, our God, how mankind is at war not only with God but also with one another, we see atrocities happening. Understand that Jesus is going to return again and he is going to make all things new and he is going to make all things right as he restores those who believe to the relationship which was first being enjoyed in those first few pages of the Bible. This book reveals Jesus. And then as always, Jesus, he's a master teacher, isn't he? You like reading his, his parables? Don't you love reading his sermons? 
we go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see these things that Jesus taught to people, and, and it just it marvels us the way he communicated to people. And I want you to understand that as you open up Revelation, these are the words of Jesus Christ. These are his revelation. And he's the same teacher, that same marvelous master of communicating. And he's done the same thing for us in this final book of the Bible. And so this master teacher... Right away, he gives us an outline for how to understand what we're looking at here in this book. And in verse 19, he gives us this easy outline for the entire book of Revelation. Read it with me. He tells John, he says, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are are, and those that are to take place after this. And so essentially, Jesus commands three things to John. As I want you to, John, I want you to write down three things. Number one, I want you to write down the things that you have seen. That's going to unfold in Revelation chapter 1. He says, I want you to write down the things that are. That's going to unfold in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And then he says, John, I want you to write down the things that are to take place after this, which we'll see in chapter 4 through 22. And here's what Jesus means by this. If you're taking notes, I've, I've made some more room on the back of your, backside of your notes as well. In chapter 1, John writes exactly what Jesus commanded him to write. He, he wrote down the things that he saw. Uh, from, from John's perspective, as he's, as he's sitting there on the island of Patmos, he has this vision, and, and everything that, we've, that, that you see in the first chapter has already happened for John. And so from his perspective, when Jesus revealed all of this to him, the events of chapter 1 had just taken place in John's life. He had just seen this vision. He had just seen these things that unfolded. And so from the Apostle John's perspective, everything that happened in chapter 1 was all in the past tense. The second thing that he, Jesus commands John to write is the things that are. And so if chapter 1 was the past tense for John, what do you expect chapter 2 and 3 might contain from John's perspective? The present tense. All right. These are things that were happening as John was living, as John was there on the island. Things that John needed to understand for what was happening right then. And so in chapters 2 and 3, we're introduced to seven letters. Jesus writes seven personal letters uh, to seven churches that were real churches in uh, what's basically now modern-day Turkey, the, the western portion of, of Asia Minor. And these seven letters that Jesus personally dictated to John were to be passed on to these seven churches. These two chapters don't represent future ages of the church. I, I've heard that, you know, this is the ancient church, and this is the Roman Catholic church, and this is the medieval church, and, and as you look through each of these letters, it represents a different time of church history. And I, I don't think that that's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, there are some that would say that, that these seven letters... Um, address those seven church, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they would address obscure prophecies of, of all these different times in church history. But these are seven letters in which Jesus is addressing what those seven real churches with real people that were living in that day, what those seven churches needed to hear for their context and the struggles that they were going through. Those seven letters needed to be listened to by these churches and they need to put it into practice and, and to obey what Jesus commanded them to do. But I also understand that those seven letters need to be, need to be listened to by anyone who reads them. 
In every single one of the letters, we see a phrase that Jesus says. Does anybody remember what it is? He who has ears to hear, it's not talking about corn, ears to hear, let him hear. He says that seven times. Every single one of the letters, he says this. And, and he means that for these seven churches, but I think he also is saying that for those of us here who 2,000 years later are reading this book and you're reading this personal letter that Jesus sends to Ephesus, and this personal letter that he writes to Smyrna and Pergamum and Hierapolis. No, that was closely associated with one of them. Um, as, he, as he reads, as they get each of these seven letters, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We need to listen and obey the warnings and the promises that are found in these two chapters that were happening in the present tense for, uh, for John. But here's the big question of the day, okay? You ready? If chapter 1 contained the things that were part, past tense for John, and chapter 2 and 3 contained the things that were present tense for John, can you guess what chapters 4 through 22 are going to contain? Okay, really good. You guys are sharp. In fact, chapters 4 through 22 include events that are future tense not only for John, but I also believe are future tense for us. These are events that Jesus showed John, but they are still going to take place in the future from our time. I think that's consistent when you're looking at how Daniel unfolds and how you compare Daniel with Revelation. But let's quickly walk through these chapters. Uh, look at chapter 4, verse 1. Let's start there. He says, After this I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you, pay attention to what he says here, I will show you what must take place after this. We seen those words after this somewhere before? Remember our outline? Chapter 1, verse 19? And so this is a cue to John. These last two words should give us a clue. After this, oh, we're in the third part of the outline already. And so with chapter 4, he's talking about the things that are still to come, the things that are to come after this, after the present tense for John. Chapters 4 through 5 quickly changed a scene. Uh, John is, is taken up into heaven, and, and he takes us with him, and he shows us a future scene that takes place in heaven. Specifically, he shows us a scene unfolding in heaven's throne room. We, we see people. And angels. We see creatures that he just calls living beings, and he, and he does his best to describe them in terms that we can understand. And, and all these creatures and all these angels, all the myriads that are gathered in heaven are worshiping. Can you imagine a worship service like that? They're worshiping the, ones who, the one who sits on the throne. They say, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the people, particularly represented by the 24 elders, cry out, Worthy are you, o our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And in this passage, John also sees Jesus and calls him the Lamb. And the Lamb comes forth, and Jesus steps forward, and, and, and the passage describes a title deed for the earth. John, John actually weeps because it, there's a question that's asked. Who, who's worthy to open the scroll? It, it'd be like going to the courthouse, and there's a document, 
and there's this beautiful piece of property here in town, and, and nothing's being done with it. And somebody says, who, who can take this property and do something with it? And nobody comes forward, and so the land just sits there and does nothing, right? It'd be kind of a shame, wouldn't it? Even bigger than that, John is sitting there, and there's the title deed for, for earth. And, and, and the question is asked, who's worthy to open this? Nobody comes forward. And John starts to weep, but then the lamb comes forward and takes the scroll. And throughout these two chapters that are taking place in heaven, there's this beautiful unfolding of all these events, all these creatures worshiping our great God and worshiping His Son, Jesus Christ. Incidentally, my personal conviction is that there are several hints that are dropped in these two chapters that indicate that the church will be there in this heavenly scene. We'll be there and we'll be a part of that. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ will be a part of that glorious service led by these living creatures that are gathered around the throne of God. What beautiful worship. But then with chapters 6 and 7, the scene again once, once again shifts. And now John sees events that will one day unfold on earth. The Lamb is holding this title deed. And, and on that title deed, there are this scroll, there are seven seals. You ever, how, how many of you have a wax seal? Anybody here? All right. One? You, you are so cool. All right. Uh, you have this, this letter, and you, you melt the wax on it. It's probably kind of fun to do, isn't it? And then you push your, do you have a seal that has your name on it? When you're 10, Sarah is really cool. Okay, has initials on it. That is awesome. All right. Um, I have a seal too, but it's like, a, it's like a marker and I press it into the paper, but it's not like melting wax. And you know, That's just awesome. All right. Well, that's the picture, okay? This is how people would, you know, we lick the, lick the envelope and we send it in the mail. And if you see that somebody's torn it open, you know that somebody's read your mail, right? Well, in the past, you didn't exactly have envelopes with that horrible tasting, you know, glue on it. And so what you would do is you would, you would take the, roll it over, and then at the, where the, the paper is folded over the other part, you would pour wax on it, and you'd seal it. And then when you received it, as long as that wasn't broken, you would know that, that, that it had not been opened. And so here's this title deed, this document, this scroll, and it has seven seals on it. And one at a time, Jesus breaks each of those seals. Which each of those, with each of those seals being broken, a future judgment of God's wrath takes place upon those who remain on the earth. Uh, those of us who are not followers of Jesus Christ will miss out on the heavenly worship service, but will instead endure these periods of wrath that take place over this next three and a half years in the book of Revelation. Now, now let me just pause for a moment because I want you to understand something. A lot of people read Revelation and they see the wrath that's unfolded, and it's a book about God's wrath. It's a book about the judgment to come. And, and what happens when a God who has been patient with humanity for thousands of years finally says, that's enough. It's done. And these are my judgments on this world that has gone to war with me for all these millennia. I want you to understand that even though the book of Revelation contains these judgments, even though God's wrath is unfolding on the human race, which he has remained at war with him for all this time, and that has shaken its fist at him throughout all of human history, even though this period of wrath, um, in this period of wrath, God, God is just in pouring out his wrath on his enemies. It is right for him to do so. But I also want you to understand that in the midst of this period of wrath, 
God is still, throughout this entire time, extending mercy on people. There will be millions who are not part of the church. If you're part of our church, you understand we teach that a pre-tribulational rapture, meaning we believe that the church will be taken out before this time. There are those that teach that, that the church will be taken out after that time. But, but throughout this time, no matter what, I want you to understand that there will be millions of people who are coming to know Jesus Christ. Millions who miss the rapture of the church, who are going to realize that they need salvation that can only come through Jesus Christ. And they'll find their Bibles left around. And they'll remember the message that they heard in, in church or from a friend regarding the things that are going to come. And there will be millions who realize that they need this salvation that only comes through Jesus who died on the cross for their sins. The Bible teaches that people will be saved in the same way during this period as they are today by putting your faith in Jesus Christ who pours out his grace and his salvation and gives that to you. The Bible teaches that great numbers of people, I believe millions upon millions, will be saved during this time. The nation of Israel will, be, will find salvation in their Messiah and Jesus Christ. Many Gentiles around the world will continue to find salvation as well. It will be a horrible, challenging time, which many people will not survive to the end of it, but they will find salvation and find God's mercy still and eternal life. Chapters 6 and 7 contain the first set of seven judgments, the breaking of the seven seals. That's followed by a second set of judgments, though, in chapters 8 through 11 that are called the seven trumpet judgments. And these take place over the next three and a half years, approximately. And then think of chapters 12 and 14, kind of like an interlude, okay? Uh, the, the events are going to pause for a moment, and, and Revelation, Jesus is going to reveal several important characters that you need to understand in the unfolding of all the events of the book of Revelation. In these three chapters, we're going to hit the pause button on everything that's unfolding in the future, and Jesus introduces us to all the major characters of the story. Chapters 12 through 14 describe Israel. It describes the Messiah and his birth. It describes Satan, the great serpent of old that we were introduced to back in Genesis chapter 3. These chapters introduce the man called the Antichrist and, and a false prophet. We see saints and sinners. We see angels engaged in warfare. And finally, we're reminded about the one who is at the center of the entire book. The same one who was born as a baby is the one who will come again. Again, what's Revelation about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, the great Son of Man. And so these chapters are kind of a parenthesis, if you will, in the middle of the book. There's still things that are being unfolded through that, but, but by and large, it's, it's introducing us to the major players in the story. But then with chapter 15 and 16, John sees a third and final series of God's judgments that are poured out on a world that still shakes its fist at God and curses him. Even while they're calling for the mountains to fall on them so they can die, they're cursing the God who's bringing down these judgments. Even after they see his power, even after they see his judgment over those seven years. And so these last seven judgments called the bulls of wrath are poured out. In chapter 17 to 20, Jesus shows John the judgment of Satan and the Antichrist, the final judgment of all those who have rejected the Savior Jesus Christ, who rejected him to the end. And ultimately, Jesus shows John the return of Christ, 
who comes to earth, this time not to die on a cross for our sins, but to rule as our king in righteousness and peace. And that leads us to the final two chapters of Revelation, where all things are made new. Everything that sin and death destroyed, Jesus makes right. Those who have received Jesus' righteousness through faith in his work on the cross, those enter into eternity where mankind's relationship is restored to what God intended it to be. And so ultimately, this book ends in the same place that it began. The first two chapters of Genesis took place with God declaring all things good and man walking with his creator in the garden. It's a beautiful picture. And we've seen that that picture and that terminology is used throughout the Bible of God seeking to walk with us, with God seeking to be with us. He, he built a tent in, our, in, in the midst of Israel so that he could be with this nation. He, he promised the, the patriarchs of old, I, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And all through the Scripture, we see God's desire to be with His people, to be in relationship with those that He loves. And so the first two chapters of Genesis take place with God declaring all things good and man walking with His Creator in the garden. And now in the last two chapters of Revelation, as they take place, we see man walking with his God where the new heaven has met the new earth. And one of the most, most prominent things that we find in that in that new earth is what the tree of life which we saw back in the garden we will enjoy his glory for eternity jesus concludes his revelation by saying three times in chapter 22 the last chapter of the bible we come full circle to the end of the story as it's been revealed so far In chapter 22, three times he says, I'm coming soon. The book of Revelation is not intended to confuse you. It's not intended to be easy, but it's not intended to confuse you, but rather to show you how marvelous Jesus is. The book of Revelation was not written so that, that we can ignore it, but, but rather to bring you blessing for reading it to bring you blessing for listening to it and to bring you blessing for following Jesus. Revelation was written so that we would each remember and that we would live in a way that we understand that Jesus is coming again and he's coming soon. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're here and you go, I, I am at war with this God. I, I, I'm, my sin has separated me from him and, and I don't have that salvation. I don't have that eternal life. And if this was to happen today and Jesus was to, to set in motion these events, I would be in trouble. My prayer is that you would hear his warning and that you would respond, not by rejecting the message that he gives to you, but that you would respond to the promise that he is coming soon and that you would keep the words of this prophecy by receiving the mercy that he offers to you right now by believing in his son, Jesus Christ. He offers you mercy and grace through his death that Jesus took in your place. Believe in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and life.
If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, my prayer is that you would hear his words of encouragement and that you also would respond by walking in a manner worthy of the one who has called you to his grace. Live in a manner in which you believe his words when he says, behold, I am coming again. One of my favorite stories from my time at Moody, many of you have heard this story many times, um, but, um, but I think it, it, it communicates well what our response needs to be. Uh, when I went to Moody Bible Institute as an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old kid, um, I was trying to earn my way through college, and so my first job was working for the night crew. And so around 6.30, 7 o'clock, you know, we would meet in a room, and, and, I, and I was there for training. And, uh, and I was assigned to work with Dan. And um, when some of the other workers said, well, what are you doing tonight? I said, well, Dan's going to train me. And they went, oh, you're going to be with Dan. I said, what do you mean by that? And I said, oh, you'll see. No, I said, what do you mean by that? They said, you'll see. I said, okay. So I met Dan, and Dan was a, a, a man in his middle ages. He was tall, skinny, bald, um, kind of an awkward individual, uh, just the way he carried himself, but uh, very serious. And Dan said, we're, we're going to work with me today, and I'm going I'm to show you the ropes, and I'm going to show you how that, you know, we need to clean Moody Bible Institute. And so uh, he proceeded to take me to different places around the campus. Uh, we went to the, the bookstore, and he showed me how to use a, a dust mop, a dust, what do you call that, dust, feather duster. And we dusted CDs, and we dusted books, and, you know, back and forth, back and forth, and Cool, that, that, that works. I know how to do that. He took me up to the, to the administrative offices where there's lots of lush carpet, and he showed me how to use a vacuum cleaner. And he says, you, you go front and back, and front and back. And he says, okay, now you try. So I went front and back. He says, good job. You got that. He took me down a few floors, and we saw all the tile floors, and, and, he, and he got the, the, the mop bucket out. And we got that thing squeegeed out, and he says, okay, you go back and forth and back and forth. So, so he's showing me all these things. I'm going, you know, okay, I, I've kind of done a lot of these things before, Dan. But, but Dan was very serious about it, and he walked me through the campus. And then we came to the kitchen. Okay, this is the kitchen that feeds a few thousand students. And, and Dan went crazy. I mean, this guy was ballistic. He was all over the place. He's taking those little floor mats, and he's throwing them up on top of the dishwasher, and he's got this hose out, and he's climbing on top of, of all the kitchen equipment. The guy was up on top of the dishwasher, and he was spraying down these, these corners in the back of the, the room. At, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that some of the bugs didn't even know those corners existed. You know, it was just, he was everywhere, and sweat is pouring off of his forehead, and he's jumping up and down and getting everything spotless and clean. And I'm just sitting back going, oh my goodness, I don't think I can do this. This is crazy. And Dan is just going nuts. And, and then he hops in and he catches his breath. And he says, Jeff, do you know why I do this? <laughs> I said, Dan, I don't, why do you do this? He says, I'm not really smart. I said, I, I couldn't be a student here. I, I, I have a hard time reading. I, I, have a hard time, I have a hard time doing studies. And uh, that, that's not me. I, I'm never going to be a missionary, a pastor, a theologian. But God's made me a janitor at Moody Bible Institute. And, and, and I'm going to do that with all my heart. Because I can clean this kitchen here. And me doing this lets people like you and other people study. 
And, he said, and then he said something that I'll, I'll never forget. I, I did Greek and, and all kinds of theology classes. I loved some of my teachers, and they taught many profound, wonderful things. But the greatest lesson that I learned at Moody Bible Institute was there that first week of school when Dan turned to me and said, Jesus Christ is going to come back. And if he came back today, I would want him to see me being the best that he has called me to be. My friends, that is the picture of someone who is walking worthy because he got it. He got it. He knew that God had called him to do something very specific that was for him. He hadn't equipped him to do a lot of the things that a lot of the students were doing, but he had equipped him to be a janitor, to clean a building, and to do it in a way that would bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And that day, it brought glory and honor to Jesus Christ because I sat there and I just was in awe of how God used this individual that everybody thought was crazy, but he was living every moment for the pleasure of his Lord Jesus Christ with the anticipation and the full belief, the unwavering belief that Jesus Christ was coming back and he could come back at any moment. And Dan wanted to be ready. And we're called to do the same. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to see your story, to see history as it's unfolded, but specifically seeing your story as, as you see all of these things, all of human history from beginning to end from your perspective, and, and, and then how we play a part of that. We thank you that you've incorporated us into this story and, and though our lives are not recorded in the written word, the revealed word of God, we know that your spirit is still working in our midst and you're making our lives, our story, a part of your story. And so as we look forward to the return of our Lord, this one who is at the center of all of human history, the one who is the promise, the promise that fulfilled uh, prophecies that went all the way back to the dawn of, of the human race when we first rebelled against you. A promise to crush the head of the serpent. A promise of a deliverer who would come and who would save us. This one, this man, this God who became man, took on human flesh, who is at the center of all of human history, died in our place. And it is through him that we receive eternal life. It's through Him that we find the solution to our problem with sin. Father, we pray that as we look forward to and as we longingly expect our living hope, Jesus Christ, to return again, might we walk through the story, our story, in a way that would bring glory and honor to Him. Might our lives reflect that You are holy. Holy, holy.